If you have your copy of God's Word today, we're going to reside in the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm uh, chapter 68 is where we will be this morning, Psalm 68. And I want to share with you a message today entitled, Give In, Give Up, or Give Thanks. Give In, Give Up, or Give Thanks. Psalm 68, and not often do I preach sermons that only contain one verse, but that is what we're going to do this morning. Now, I said in the earlier service, that doesn't mean you're going to get out early, all right? Uh, but it is just going to be one verse that will be the primary focus of our attention today that we're going to try to unpack and see all that God has in store for us. Uh, the reason that I'm primarily focusing on one verse is because I believe the one that we're going to look at today, which is verse number 19 of this chapter, that it enc en encapsulates the main idea of the entire chapter. In other words, I think if you would boil it all down to the nubbies, that, that the central focus, the main thought, would come from this 19th verse. Let me read it for you. Psalm 68, verse 19. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. That passage has been rendered a number of different ways from a number of different translations. And I want to give you a few of those. Let me read them to you. The ESV or the English Standard Version says it this way. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. The NIV says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. And the word Selah doesn't appear in the text, only in the footnotes. Then another translation renders it this way. Praise the Lord who carries our burdens day after day. He is the God who saves us. And then Eugene Peterson in the message, which it's not a translation, it is a paraphrase. He says this, blessed be the Lord day after day he carries us along. So I re read and preach from primarily the King James. So I want to give you that verse one more time in verse 19 from the KJV. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. As you read through the Bible, you'll note that there are several different types of literature that the Scripture uses uh, to convey the truth. Uh, for example, there are books in the Bible that are classified as historical books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. A number of the others in the Old Testament would be qualified as historical books in the Bible. There are books of prophecy, like the book of Revelation. In the Old Testament, many of the writings of Daniel are prophetic, still to happen. Some in Jeremiah, certainly some in Isaiah, are prophetic in nature. Uh, and then you also have what is called wisdom literature or poetic literature. The book of Psalms, along with the book of Song of Solomon, for example, falls under that classification of wisdom literature or poetic literature. It contains, that is the book of Psalms, 150 psalms written by a number of different people. Uh, Solomon wrote a few of them. Moses wrote a few of them. Other people wrote some of them. Uh, but David mo wrote more than anybody else. David wrote some 73 of the psalms to be exact. But when they were first written, they were written as poems to be put to music. And then as they were put to music, 
they were to be sung in praise and in worship to God. And many of these psalms you will find were written from difficult experiences from the author. Some were written from, from a position of trouble, uh, from a position of discouragement or even depression. Sometimes it was over fear. Sometimes it was a psalm about repentance. So some of these were written from different positions of different men who were struggling with different issues in life. Well, the historical context for Psalm 68 is truly fascinating. To me, it is one of the uh, most endearing uh, psalms. That's why I like verse number 19. The context is this. It is said in the context when David makes his second attempt to move or to relocate the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant was located in the tabernacle. David wanted to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. He, he never got to build that temple because he was a man of war. Uh, Solomon, his son, would build the temple later. But David's desire was to build a temple for God. And one of the things he wanted to do was to relocate the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle that had led them through the wilderness all of those years, helped them in their conquest of Canaan land, was part of the crossing of the Jordan River. David now, as he declares Jerusalem, the capital city, wants to move the Ark of the Covenant to the capital city, and when the temple is built, finally have its final home there. Now the Ark of the Covenant was a, was a golden chest. On top of this chest were two angelic seraphim, um, a cherubim I should say. And it is there between those two cherubim where the glory of God would come down and meet with the Hebrew people. Inside this chest of the Ark of the Covenant was some of the most treasured items in all of Israel's history. Three items primarily. The first was the tablets of the Ten Commandments. You saw those commandments flashed on the screen uh, before you this morning. Uh, the Ten Commandments written by the very finger of God, given to Moses to give to the people on Mount Sinai. Those tablets were contained in this, uh, this chest or this Ark of the Covenant. Also, there was the pot of manna that fed the Hebrews through their years of wandering in the wilderness. It was contained in the chest. And then finally was Aaron's rod that budded. And um, as you look at each of those items, they all play a significant role in our faith because the commandments tell us where we have broken God's law, where we have fallen short of God's law, and how we have fallen short of God's standard of holiness and righteousness. And every time we see those commandments... We're reminded of how short we fall and how short we come up against God's standard because, listen, everybody under the sound of my voice has broken at least one of those commandments. Isn't that right? And the Bible says if you have broken one of them, that we are guilty of all of them. So those commandments are that continual reminder of how we have violated God's law. That, that jar of manna that was in the ark, is a reminder of God's provision. And just as he fed the Hebrews through their wilderness journey, he always provides for his children. He always takes care of his own. And then Aaron's rod that budded. If you remember the story for God to qualify the Aaronic priesthood, God validated that by allowing Aaron's staff to bloom with almonds. You remember that Old Testament story. And you would think, how in the world can a staff 
that a guy would use as a walking stick that has been cut off from the roots and cut off from its life source, how could a staff ever bloom and have almonds on it? But it was a miracle of God, once again, to validate Aaron's role as the priest. That rod that budded was also contained in the, um, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a picture to us that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that God has given us new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that death may claim our bodies one of these days, but just as that old dead stick bloomed by the word of God, that our bodies one of these days will come out of the ground and we will live for eternity in a glorified body with our Heavenly Father. So that Ark of the Covenant was a very important article of furniture for the Jewish people. It is what Indiana Jones uh, looked for so hard and so intently in Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you remember that movie many, many uh, years ago, he was searching for this Ark of the Covenant. Well, number, nonetheless, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Bible records that David was going to relocate this Ark. And he makes his first attempt to relocate the Ark. And um, the Bible says that they put the ark on a, on a cart. The cart is being pulled by some oxen, and it doesn't make it too far down the road until one of the wheels of the cart hits a pothole. And when it does, the ark begins to topple. And a man by the name of Yuza, who was present that day, in order to keep the ark from falling off the cart, reached up and touched it to, to steady it. And the Bible says that he was, that he was struck dead. Because it is a picture that sinful mankind can never reach up and touch God. That's why God came down to us in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus. He came into this world, the Bible says, to seek and to save those who were lost. So when Yuza was struck dead, David stopped um, his, his plan to move the ark temporarily. Well, the Bible says he took it to the home of a man named Obed-Edom, and it stayed there for three months. Well, at the end of three months, David launches his second quest to relocate the ark to the city of Jerusalem. And I'll save you all of the details, but it is a fascinating study when you think about how the ark was to be moved. It was a processional it was a processional where a priest would be in front with a trumpet and he would be blowing the trumpet. There would be a priest on each of the four corners of the ark itself. Each of them had golden poles that they would run through the rings that were hanging off the edge of the or the side of the ark of the covenant and they would run those golden poles through those rings. They would bear up the ark on their shoulders never touching it uh, because of the lesson that they saw in the life of or I should say in the death of Yuza but they would transport the the uh, the ark that way. Well, in verse number one, the Bible says of this psalm that David, as the ark was being prepared to be transported, would write down this song. He would give it to the music director, according to verse number one, and it was to be sung as the ark was being moved to, uh, to Jerusalem. And then down in verse number 25, David also says that there was a great chorus of women 
who would follow the ark and they would sing. They would just sing to the top of their lungs. And can't you, can't you get that picture? The priest in the front blowing the trumpet, four other priests with these poles with the ark of the covenant on their shoulder. They're marching toward Jerusalem and all of these ladies behind them, they are singing and singing. And in verse number 35, David writes, sing unto the kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. So it's quite a scene, isn't it? Quite a scene. And right in the middle of this picture, David gives us what is this main thought or the main idea of the entire chapter. And that is in verse number 19. And he begins it this way. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now in what ways can we bless God? You know, the psalmist said, Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Meaning we who are lowly and weak and puny, what could we ever do to bless God? In Psalm 103, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So how do we bless God? We bless God by honoring his name. Remember the model prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We honor God and we bless Him when we hold His name in high esteem. When we recognize that His name is, is not a curse word. We honor God when we honor His name. We bless Him by speaking His praises. We bless God with our adoration. We bless God with our praise. And yes, here we are moving into the Thanksgiving season. We bless God when we have a spirit and a heart of thankfulness and a heart of thanksgiving. Do you know the, the concept of thankfulness is defined for us all the way through the Old Testament and then all the way through the New Testament? And you see the etymology of the word is, is actually a combination of two words. It is the word grace and the word acknowledgement. Let me say that again. Thanksgiving or thankfulness is really the combination of the words grace and acknowledgement, meaning that to truly be a thankful person and to have a heart of gratitude that what we're doing is we are acknowledging the grace of God that's at work all around us. That we don't just move through life uh, thinking that we're self-made people or that we got the world by the tail. But that we have to acknowledge the goodness of God and the grace of God. It is a verbal expression and it is a lifestyle that we don't depend upon self but we're dependent upon God. And we are thankful to him for who he is and all that he has done for us. That is truly a spirit of thanksgiving. Warren Wiersbe says, sometimes we get accustomed to our blessings. And he writes this. He said, I have felt for a long time that one of the particular temptations of the maturing Christian is the danger of getting accustomed to God's blessings. Like the world traveler who has been everywhere and seen everything, the maturing Christian is in danger of taking his blessings for granted and getting so accustomed to them that they fail to excite him as they once did. If the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. We have seen the stars so often we don't bother to look at them anymore. Have we grown accustomed to our blessings? In other words, he is saying that God has given so much to us that sometimes rather than looking at God and saying as David did, blessed be the Lord, we might look around and think, 
well, I wish I had this or I need that. And we focus more on the negative than we do the positive. You remember in Numbers chapter 11, the Hebrews were making their way across the Sinai Desert toward the Promised Land. And the way was tough. It was challenging. Uh, it was difficult. It was dangerous. But all through the way, God led them. God faithfully led them. He, he allowed their clothes to never wear out. He gave them a cloud by day to guide them, a pillar of fire by night to guide them. They could speak to the rock, and water came out to satisfy their thirst. And every morning, God allowed manna to fall from heaven. It was angel food. Literally, it means, what is it? That's the word manna. In Hebrew, what is it? As God allowed these these these, I said in the earlier service, Pop-Tarts to fall down from heaven. And all they had to do was come out of their tent every morning. And the Bible says that the ground would be covered white with this manna. And it was God's provision for them. But in just a little while, they ate that manna and ate that manna. By the way, they couldn't store it unless it was the Sabbath. If they tried to keep it for more than a day, it would spoil. So they had to wait on God and depend on God every day for a fresh supply of the manna. But after a while, they got so sick and tired of that manna. They wanted something new. They wanted something that, that, that was more uh, to their liking and to their taste buds. And, and this was the provision of God, angel food. And they said, we are so sick of this manna. We are so sick and tired of this, we can't eat it another way. You know, you have boiled manna and fried manna and roasted manna and manna sandwiches, and only the certain ways you can have all of this manna. And they said, we're sick and tired of this manna. And they expressed an attitude and a spirit of being unthankful. I would say that in our fallen nature, we have that tendency to gravitate that way. And we have to challenge ourselves to come back toward God and look at all that we have, not all that we would like to have or wish that we have or think we should have. I um, believe that if God gave us everything that we asked for, that eventually we'd reach the place where we were ungrateful for it. I said in the earlier service that I love being a pastor, but if I had my dream job, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, of course, would be... Uh, to work at Krispy Kreme Donuts. Could you think of a job in life that would be better than working at Krispy Kreme Donuts? But I have a feeling after a few weeks, what smells so good and so inviting and so alluring when you see that hot now sign lit up on the Krispy Kreme sign that after a few weeks in that store working, you'd probably think, man, I don't want to see another donut as long as I live, right? That's just kind of our human nature. If we're not careful, we look at, that way, look at it that way in life. All that God's done for us, all of his blessings, that we can lose focus of what he's done and look back and think, you know, I wish I had this or I wish I had that. And we fail to be thankful and do as David said, bless the Lord. Listen to what Deuteronomy 8 says, I love this passage. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful verse to share around your Thanksgiving table with your family this year? When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. First Chronicles 29 says, but who am I? 
And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, Lord, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Psalm 145 says this, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Think about the picture in that, in that passage. God, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Everything that you have of value, everything that you possess, every, every penny you own, every relationship you have, everything that is good is a direct result of the grace of God in our lives, is it not? And thanksgiving is to acknowledge that, that grace. It is to express that grace both verbally and in our lifestyle, that God, we're not self-made people, but we're dependent upon you, and we recognize that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you, and that you open your hands and that you satisfy the desire of all your people. That truth ought to make us thankful this holiday season. And to join David by saying, blessed be the Lord. Look at the next uh, phrase in verse number 19. He writes, who daily loads us with benefits. Now if you carry the King James Version, you will note the two words, with benefits. Uh, that's written in italics, all right? And when you see that written in italics, what that means is it was not part of the oldest manuscripts. That it was added by the translators to help clarify the meaning of the passage. So it was not part of the original, what we would call autographs or some of the oldest manuscripts that translators had to their disposal. So anytime you see that in italics, um, it means it was added by the translators. Well, some translations that I read to you when I started this sermon, some of those translations um, uh, give us this, this passage entirely differently, and it renders it that God daily bears our burdens. Um, and there's two schools of thoughts about that. That might be another sermon for another day. But when we think of God... When you read it in the King James Version, of loading us with benefits. In the Hebrew, the picture is literally this. It is a wagon or a cart that is returning from the fields from harvest. And it is loaded over, rounded over with all of the, of the benefits or all of the blessings of the harvest. I see corn and I see pumpkin and I see cabbage and I see all of the things, the potatoes, everything that you would get out of a garden, wheat or whatever it might be, that this cart or this wagon is just rounded over and as the wagon moves, it kind of overflows and kind of spills over the edges. That's the picture right here. David says as he transports this Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the women behind singing, the priest in the front blowing the trumpet, the other priest holding the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God in their lives, they are saying, blessed be God, who daily puts so much into our lives that wherever we go, it just kind of spills out. That's what David meant when he said in Psalm 23, my cup runs over. So when we think of the goodness of God and the blessings, the benefits, the bounty, that he's given us. Can't we all say with David, bless the Lord, blessed be God, who daily, not just intermittently by the way, not just every now and again, 
not just randomly, but David said, God daily loads us with his benefits. I know that 2020 has been a year unlike any other. It's been filled with uncertainty. It's been filled with worry. It's been filled with stress. It's been filled with fear. It's not over yet. We still have a month and a half of 2020, and then who knows what 2021 is going to hold for us. All of it is uncertain in it. But as we stand and we face the uncertainties of life, we have three options. We can either give up and say, I'm just going to throw in the towel. I don't know what else to do. Or we can kind of give in and go with the larger flow of life. But we can stand and face the problems of life with our head up knowing that we're a child of a king. And rather than giving up or giving in, we can give thanks because God daily loads us with his bounty, with his blessings, with his benefits, with his goodness. You remember Thanksgiving? Acknowledge grace. Acknowledge grace. That's what it really means. In the model prayer, Jesus said, when he told his disciples to pray, he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And every day, God does that for us. He blesses us, and he blesses us, and he blesses us, and he blesses us. Through good times and through bad times. In Psalm 23, David concludes that psalm by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As God loads you down with his benefits, he gives you those two constant companions that will always track your steps, and that's the goodness of God and the mercies of God. There may be some, some high mountains you still have to climb or that I might have to, or some deep waters we might have to cross through. But aren't you glad and don't you find a great deal of comfort in knowing that the mercies of God and the goodness of God are behind us and are with us and surround us? One anonymous writer says this. I've given you this before, but listen to what he writes. Lord, I've never moved a mountain, and I guess I never will. All the faith that I could muster would not move a small anthill. Yet I tell you, Lord, I'm grateful for the joy of knowing thee and for all the mountain moving down through life you've done for me. When I needed some help, you lifted me from the depths of great despair. And when burdens, pain, and sorrow have been more than I can bear, you have always been my courage to restore life's troubled sea and to move these little mountains that look so big to me. Many times when I've had problems and when bills I've had to pay and the worries and the heartaches just keep mounting every day, Lord, I don't know how you did it. Can't explain the wheres or whys. All I know, I've seen these mountains turn to blessings in disguise. No, I've never moved a mountain, for my faith is far too small. Yet I thank you, Lord of heaven. You have always heard my call. And as long as there are mountains in my life, I'll have no fear, for the mountain-moving Savior is my strength, and he is always near. So David would say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, he loads us down daily, every day, with his benefits. Do you know the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Meaning that God created everything. Created it uh, as he spoke, uh, worlds came into existence. And he owns it all. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a, a thousand hills. 
And one man says he owns the hills and even the potatoes in the hills. He owns it all, doesn't he? Everything. God says all the silver is mine, the gold is mine. God owns it all because he created it. And in this world that God allows us to live in, he shares with us his blessings. And he gives to us from his stockpile of grace. And when you come around the time of thanksgiving, we acknowledge that grace. And we say like David, as this chorus of women are singing, blessed be the Lord. He daily, every day, gives me more than I deserve. Every day showers me with so many blessings that I can count them one by one. And it would amaze you what the Lord has done. So we acknowledge God's grace. Think about it for a moment. From the stockpile of God's grace, we can say that God is good and that God is always faithful. We can say that God is always just and God is always fair. He always helps in our time of need. God carries our burdens. God always keeps his promises. God is always near. He is as near as your next prayer. He forgives our sin. He is generous to us. He has guaranteed us a home in heaven. He gives us an opportunity to serve him. And in his great grace, God has invited us to be part of his forever family. No wonder David says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with his benefits. Then scoot across that verse to the very last word, and then we're going to come back and look at the next phrase before that last word. But I want you to look at the word selah. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, selah. Now, depending upon the translation you carry, you may or you may not see that word in your particular translation. If you carry the uh, King James Version, the uh, New King James Version, the New American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, any of those translations that go back to the Masoretic Text, you will find that word selah. If you read from um, uh, a translation like maybe the New International Version or the Revised Standard uh, Version that traces back to the manuscripts from Alexandria, then you don't see that word selah. And, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. That would be another sermon for another day uh, as well. But in the King James, you see that word selah, selah. It appears 73 times in Psalms. doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible except for three times in the book of Habakkuk. And you say, well, Pastor, why wouldn't some translations include that word? Well, primarily, to give you the long and the short of it is, some would say that it's like a musical notation. Remember the context? They're moving the ark to Jerusalem. These ladies are singing in the background. The music is playing. It must have been quite uh, an entourage with great pomp and circumstance. And as they're tra transporting this ark and they're singing that word selah, many translators would say is a musical notation that means to pause. Means to pause so that you don't really even have to read the word selah. That's why in the NIV it only appears in the, in the footnotes and not in the text itself. Um, but it would mean to, to pause. Uh, if you're singing the song, sometimes there might be an interlude in that song where you pause and you reflect. 
And really, that's what the word itself means. It means to stop or to pause, to meditate on what's being sung, to meditate on the words, and kind of reflect. So in this context, as they are moving this ark to Jerusalem, and the women are singing, and the priest is blowing the trumpets, and there's this great uh, celebration for the presence of God that's with them, that's going to the city of God, Jerusalem, David would say, blessed be God who loads us with benefits. And then he says, pause and let that sink in. Pause and meditate on that. I said in the earlier service today, certainly it can be a, 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 um, uh, a musical um, indicator. But I believe rather than just speaking to the tune, I think it really speaks to the subject matter. And the subject matter is the truth of who God is, what he is like, what he has done for us. And David encourages us and wants us to be energized to pause and to recognize all that God has done for us. So we don't give in to the struggles of life. We don't give up because life gets hard. What do we do? We give thanks because in the good times and the bad times, God's still faithful. Amen? In the good times and in the bad times, he daily loads us with his benefits. So as you're seated around the Thanksgiving table with your family this year, it may look different than any other Thanksgiving that you've had because of the COVID-19 protocols. It doesn't change the fact that God is still on the throne, that he's still in control, that he's still good and loving and just and fair and has your best interest at heart and David says just pause this Thanksgiving season and meditate on that and reflect on that and think about how good God really has been. I would say this year and this time in our lives we ought to pause and think about the goodness of God perhaps more than any other time certainly in my lifetime because we don't know what what to expect and what's on the horizon so we just stop we pause pause from the busyness of life, and we think about how good God's been, and we acknowledge his grace. That's true thanksgiving. We don't give in. We don't give up. We give thanks. Now go back to verse number 19, and look at the title he gives to God. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Now look at this. Even the God of our salvation. Even the God of our salvation not a God who just talks about it, but a God who invaded humans, humankind's presence and, and rescued us from the slave market of sin. All the way back in 1916, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite authors, wrote a sermon or preached a sermon about this. And it was transcribed. And I've lifted a paragraph from that, and this is what he said. He said, God's gifts and benefits are deeds of goodness and acts of goodness. He does to us that which is good. He not only wishes us well and speaks to us well and directs us well, but he does well to us. He does not say, I pity your last estate, but he delivers the lost out of the ruin. He does not say, be warmed and filled, but he does much more than wishing us well. He warms our heart with his love. He fills them with his mercy. And he sends us on our way rejoicing. It is true that God speaks well to us. What more could he say than that he has said uh, in his blessed word? 
It is true that he wishes us well. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, but had rather that he turn to me and live. But the essence of his goodness lies in this, that he goes beyond wishes and words into acts. End of quote. He goes beyond wishes and words into acts, meaning that God could have very well just set up in heaven and said, I so love the world, but that would have meant nothing had he not been moved to action and said, I so love the world that I gave. It's a verb, it's an action word, that I gave my only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So here in 2020, still with a month and a half to go, what are you going to do? Are you going to give in? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to give thanks? That's our options. Going to give in? We're going to give up? Or we're going to give thanks? I don't know about you. I'm going to give thanks. That's a good place for an amen. But I'm going to give thanks. That's what we all should do through the good and the bad. Many years ago, a little baby girl was born, developed an eye infection not too long after she was born, and got some improper medical care, and it resulted in her blindness. And this little baby grew into a fine Christian young lady and then a fine Christian older lady and became one of the greatest hymn writers that Christian, the Christian life has ever experienced. Her name is Fanny Crosby. And the many, many songs that she wrote, I love the one that says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, she says. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to give thanks. And I'm going to join David in saying, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of my salvation. And then we pause and think about that. Bart Miller didn't have a good relationship with his father early on, but it was uh, healed. And in the latter years of his life, had a great relationship with his father. Upon his father's death, he sat down and he tried to imagine what it would be like standing in heaven before God, and he wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine, that says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to give thanks. And then finally, one night, after helping his two youngest daughters take a bath and get ready for bed, Stephen Curtis Chapman remembers that his daughters were stalling about going to bed. They were tugging at their pajamas, and they were slow to do what they needed to do, and these Cinderella pajamas that they were wearing, they, 
He said they were just kind of tugging at them and meandering, and he was very frustrated with them. And in fact, he said that he didn't even take time to read their bedtime story to them because he needed to quickly go to his studio and get some work done. And when he got to his studio, he said that he was convicted by the Holy Spirit because he had already missed many good years with his oldest daughter, and he said he didn't want that to happen with his youngest children uh, just simply because of the business of his career. So he sat down and he wrote the song from their pajamas, Cinderella, said this. It's been a long day and there's still work to do. She's pulling at me saying, Daddy, I need you. There's a ball at the castle and I've been invited and I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, Daddy, please. So I will dance with Cinderella while she's here in my arms because I know something the prince never knew. Oh, I will dance with Cinderella. I don't want to miss even one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and she will be gone. And in just a few months after writing that song, it was in May of 2008, Stephen's youngest daughter, five years old, Maria Sue was playing in her driveway and ran behind her brother's, her older brother Will's SUV as he was backing out of the driveway. And she was tragically killed at five years old in the driveway of their home. And that song that was originally written to cherish parenthood, he says now has taken on a whole new meaning of both the brevity of life and then how fragile life really is. And he could have been bitter, and he could have given in, he could have given up, but he's going to give thanks to God in all things, through the good, through the bad, the things that we don't understand, the things that we can't explain. Listen, God is still good all the time. Blessed be God, who daily loads us with his benefits, the God of my salvation. Pause and meditate on it. Let's pray. Lord, we never want to give up. We never want to give in. But we want to be people who continually give thanks. We don't want to scoff at the manna that you send us. We don't want to be unthankful for the blessings that you bring our way. But help us to be people that truly recognize without you, Lord, we'd be such a mess. God, as we now turn a time to make a public invitation and make an appeal for what you may be doing in the hearts and lives of people, if there's one here today that has never invited Christ into their lives, what a wonderful day. What a wonderful day it would be to, uh, to give their heart and life to you. And I pray that during our time of invitation, they would just come and say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be saved today. Or maybe others who want to unite with our church or others who just want to come pray. Lord, you take the invitation and use it in a way that will honor you We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.